Hello and welcome to The Coolest Kids. I am one of your hosts, Terrence Wiggins, joined by your other host, Brock Wilbur. And joined by our special guest... Hey, it's me, Roger Lucier. Uh, what's going on, guys? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just got home from work. I uh, left my computer charger at work. So we're, <laughs> it's, this has got this, uh, this, this podcast... Uh, I have my own podcast called uh, Money for Nothing Chips for Free. It's about potato chips, sort of. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, usually our episodes are very, very long. This one I feel like might be a little bit of a, a speed test against time, where if we go below 50, we might, uh, something bad might happen. So <laughs> I'm, re- I'm ready to go. I've got, I've got like Wikipedia tabs pulled up. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, so the album we're talking about today is Taking Back Sunday's Where You Want to Be. This is also the which... first time on our podcast that we've come back to a band. <laughs> you did yes. You did tell all your friends, I have to imagine, right? Did we? I know we talked about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's still we... all your friends. Yeah. Did uh, we cover that album? Yeah, because uh, Louder was, uh, we kept referencing like, you know, I, I, I wish we were listening to Louder instead. <laughs> oh, Louder now? See, I, don't I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about Louder now, but I, I don't know if they're completely relevant to uh, this conversation. Well, they can. I mean, we'll I just see. feel I've, I was just I, I feel like Louder now is very commercial in a way. Yeah, it's a it's a a, a thirty seconds to Mars record. That was <laughs> oh that was god, that was a brutal takedown. <laughs> uh, it has it has two good songs, uh, and it's a it's otherwise it's a thirty seconds to Mars record, and and sort of. Uh, the decline of the band began with that record, and then the general thirty seconds to Marsification of the band. I love. <laughs> which is, I love. I love New Again, and I don't really care for anything after that. Is New Again uh, the first one with John Back, John and Sean Back, or is no, that the one Matt, New Again? New Again is New Again is the one where Fred left. Yep. The in- and I like that. I really like that one. That has the guitarist from uh, Face in New York on it. Mm-hmm. And it's like it doesn't sound like any other Taking Back Sunday album, and I really really like it. And uh, yep. Well, see what's interesting, and I guess we'll just jump right into this. So, so the the most important thing about Taking Back Sunday to always think about and always have in the back of your mind is the double singer thing, the second singer specifically. You know, you had John Nolan on that first record. He left to which with the bassist Sean to do uh, Straight Light Run. And then Fred Mascherino on these middle two records, middle two, it's not even middle anymore, where they have, what, seven now? And then... Something like that. That Matt Fazio record, which, it's fair that you like it, but it is, it, the what happened uh, really kind of was more noticeable once John came back. Did, did either or both of you go to the Tell All Your Friends 10 tour... Not the acoustic no. one, the, the the full electric one. In I'm, I'm just appreciating that you're you're tracing what I consider like the more we get into emo, the like paleontology map or the trickle down economics <laughs> of how everyone splits off into nine different bands. And oh, how I was going to say he did. He didn't even mention that Fred Mascherino played in Breaking Pangea, then left Taking Back Sunday. Not even left Taking Back Sunday. He started the Color Fred, yep. and then. He also had another band after Taking Back Sunday. Yeah, I don't remember. I think, but I can't remember what. I think he might have played bass in it. I remember seeing a. I think it was a three piece, and I think he played bass, but I might be wrong. Yeah, it was like him and some other people from other emo bands. I think like Claudio from Coheed or something. That's probably it. Was something. It was something really weird. I'm going to look it up yeah. right now. Terrible things. Ter- Terrible Terrence things. Just watch me lose my mind on this show be- because I'm like, you know, I think that American football and Owen sound alike. And it's like, well, did you know that, <laughs> that it's all the same guy and like nine other bands too? And like, yeah, shit, I should have put that together long before. You this. weren't you weren't far off. It was the excluding Cambria drummer oh. Josh Eppard yep. and uh, Andy Jackson from uh, Hot Rod Circuit. Oh, okay. Um, Rod Circuit. Hot Rod Circuit. I know that dude. <laughs> cool. Don't, I'm not. I'm going to try not to, to do that. Uh, it it it'll be annoying because people think I'm lying when I talk about that stuff. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just establish this from the start. When you well, when you agreed to come on the show, you were like, you know, I actually was like in bands that opened for most of these bands. So you do have this like. <laughs> Like inherent like jealousy aspect, but you also like know all these people too. Like you were actually a part of the scene. So yeah, so I I played in a couple bands. I put I, I was in a band that put out a record on Equal Vision of all things. 
Um, and so, like, it's, and they weren't even... What we, band? We, we're called Pretty and Nice. Uh, we don't exist... Well, we don't not exist, but we don't exist anymore. Um, and we... we we put out a record on uh, Max Bemis's Equal Vision uh, oh, imprint, okay. Rory, and it was it was really awesome. But you know, it's kind of funny because we were like, we were an indie rock band on this seminal hardcore band, like you know, <laughs> right. I, I, the Equal Vision samplers sometimes used to scare the shit out of me, and then now we're like <laughs> this like cool kind of mathy pop band. But I mean. The first show, the first concert I went to was a From to Ashes show, <laughs> and the honorary title opened for them. So, oh wow, that's crazy! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, what I was saying to Brock is like, there's this weird thing that I have where like there are only the bands that I really like from this era that like I really love, and all the other bands I kind of didn't listen to because like I had this latent just jealousy of all of them, unless I met them. <laughs> I hated them. You and, were in direct competition with them. Well, yes. I mean, in my mind, I you know we we got like uh, the best new artist tab on one issue of, of alt press versus like <laughs> bands that literally existed and did things and had fans. My, but, my dude, you have better than either of us will ever have in the music industry. <laughs> it's fucking cool. Um, so yeah. So uh, let me just real quick uh, backtrack to what we what I was talking about before. So so new again. Uh, it was interesting. I saw them on that tour. It was interesting. It was fine. I didn't notice anything all that strange about it until John Nolan rejoined and they did the, the full band Tell All Your Friends tour. And I noticed that they had reassigned parts to Adam that were the mm-hmm. second vocalists from both John's songs oh. and uh, Fred's songs. And also, even on songs that they performed that night from Tell All Your Friends... Adam sang, and and to me, uh, it was it was like deeply hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Because like That's... me and my me and my one of my best friends growing up, uh, we used to put on these the first three CDs, and we would we'd put on a song. We'd be like, "All right, you're gonna be Fred. You're gonna be," and we'd sing. We'd do the parts together. And it was like this awesome thing, and uh, you know, I'd see them a couple times, and I'd be able to to do that in my head. And then seeing them that, I was like, wait, that's John's part. Wait, that's John's part. Wait. And then they do a Fred song. Well, they did the whole album, and then they did a couple other songs. They did Fred songs. And I was like, those are Fred's parts. And, like, I'm not as familiar with the, the New Again stuff. And, like, since that moment, I've kind of just been like, anything this band puts out is going to be fucking garbage to me. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. What a weird moment. <laughs> yeah, it was while watching them play. And I was like, I'm still going to love those first three records. Because I think they're, even though, like I said, that first one, kind of that first step, but... There's some very good songs. It's so well produced. It's probably the best produced victory record that ever came out. Um, actually, oh, yeah. that that might have yeah, been major. Not wrong. That might have been major label by then. Now that I think say that out loud, but it was the best. It was the best sounding of the records they've put out for sure. I, I've brought it up on this podcast before, but I uh, just finally saw at the drive-in on their reunion tour last year, uh, and I had no idea how many of the screamy parts I loved growing up were actually Jim Ward. Mm-hmm. And now I've had to change my allegiances within that band. I was like, oh, <laughs> actually, he's he's got all my favorite lines. I, I didn't know until I saw them live. I just uh, well, like it was somebody else. <laughs> I mean, you listen to their latest record. They went they went full thirty seconds to Mars. So <laughs> I like I, I I had tickets to their. I hope re- we're coining a term here. <laughs> yeah, I hope Jared Leto hears this, and I hope he calls me up. I hope he starts sending me used condoms, and then it's like I, I, Suicide I Squad, you, bitch. I don't think you and I were friends on on the social media yet. My my family loves Muse. My parents, mm-hmm. so I took them to see Muse in Kansas City that's last a, year. That's a that's a sentence. Uh, uh, my dad lo- my dad's favorite favorite band is Tool. Uh, like yeah, my parents are like fucking cool. Uh, but they were like, we love Muse, so I took them to see Muse and. It was at this outdoor venue, and the opening act was 30 Seconds to Mars. And Jared Leto kept coming out into the audience to come right up next to us to, like, drape a child in an American flag and then, <laughs> and then shout a song into his face. And I, yeah. was, I was I was on, like, social media being like, I can't fucking believe the Joker is doing this stuff. And, like, it is... I've done bad things in my life and been called out for them. I've never had people as angry at me as, like, several, like, very hardcore Jared Leto fans were like, 
I don't know why you're being so mean to him. He's like the best guy. And I was like, do you know he's not the best guy? Is Jared Leto really the hill you want to fucking die on? Like, these were women. And I was like, do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? Yeah, have you not, have right you not looked him up? Just Google him. Um, Just Google Jared Leto. It's done. I don't know what, what, what fight I'm having here. <laughs> So let me just say, in, in defense of Muse, so, so I've seen them twice. Uh, they're, they're one of my wife's favorite bands, and uh, she convinced me to go see them. I was, I was every bit a skeptic, every bit a skeptic about that band. And the first time I went to see them uh, was towards, towards the end of my musical careers. In 2013, my, my last band broke up in 2014. Uh-huh. And like I, I kind of already knew I was done, because I was 30 and just done with kind of everything. And, and on the Black Holes and Revelations tour. <laughs> and so it was, um, uh, so I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't really like going to shows. I don't like seeing like that. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to see that. But then she, she bought the ticket we went to see. And we were so far up front and it was so awesome. And they did this gigantic rock and roll thing that like um, when you watch like some kind of monster, the coolest thing about Some Kind of Monster isn't necessarily that it's about Metallica being these old men losing their minds, but that, like, you are watching the end of the arena rock era. Right. And, you know, like, watching... Uh, there's a Foo Fighters performance from Wembley from, uh, like, two or three albums ago. That's one of the best performances I've ever seen, like, on DVD. And, like, there's, there's, there's so very few bands that do big rock spectacle or even care to... And, like, it was actually really refreshing. It was this thing where I was like, okay, I kind of, like, it. I, that was, like, my first step in the grieving process of the end of my touring time. Was <laughs> oh, like, my God. I, I, I'm good with this. This is Muse. They're, they've been doing this almost 20 years. I was never going to be Muse. And it, it <laughs> They're settled, not doing it what you were in. doing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you're... You're learning about all the concert disappointments I went through, like 2012, 2013. <laughs> well, actually, sorry, it wasn't even disappointment. Like I said, it was, it was I, I, I had so much fun, and they were so awesome, and they were so perfect at everything they did all the time that it, uh. gave, it just gave me, like, pause to say, like, okay, I did this, I tried, it didn't happen. And uh, none of us will ever be Matt Bellamy. Like it's insane <laughs> yeah. what he can do. And, and me and Terrence love to, on this show, talk about, like, the bands where, like, who, how can they fucking sing while doing that guitar solo? And, and like, it's just effortless. And like, he's one of those guys that's just like, yeah, y- y- either you're that guy and, and your genetics let you do that or you're not. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no other one of way my, around. one of my bandmates, one of my pretty nice bandmates. Um, I, I'm fairly certain he'll never listen to this, so he won't mind me kind of <laughs> bragging about him. But he, he's, he's a Matt Bellamy. He's like, I would say maybe one of the 10,000 most talented music musically people in the entire world and working with him in that band like made changed the way that I just thought about like performing and what music is because uh on the first tour I did with them uh we uh, it was when uh, Dirty Projectors Pizza Orca came out and we, <laughs> we were listening to it and we listened to it for the first time and uh that evening we were in Phoenix and uh we were staying at our friend's house and we were talking about how, how cool this record was. And, and uh, my bandmate was like, Jay, do you think you'd be able to play those songs? And he was like, hmm, maybe. And he pulls out an acoustic guitar and he retuned it to whatever opening tuning uh, Dirty Projectors guy uses on that first track. And he starts playing it like perfectly. And I looked around and my, my bandmate wasn't shocked because he'd been in the band with him for like four years. And I was like, I will, this is a thing that exists in a different plane. Like he, he, or pain, pain. He sees, he sees music in a way that I will never be able to comprehend anything. <laughs> and it was really interesting getting you, you, to like, you're like looking and, to and, him and, and asking him like, Hey, can you write the tabs for me? For my part? Yeah, for this? I mean, pretty much. Yeah. They, I, I learned, I learned those, those parts. He, he, he wrote them all. He, he did, played everything on the record and I managed the band and uh, played bass live. And he would write the parts, and then he would send me over a mix that was um, just click track on the left and just bass on the right, and I would just drill it. And I, we would get to practice, and I, it would still all be wrong. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's that's that's a thing. That's that's a Matt Bellamy. I the only one of the main reasons I wished that that band had become more successful is because I wanted more people to get to experience watching him play music. Um, yeah, so 
check it out. There's like videos of us playing music. He's really good at guitar. Um, <laughs> Sidetrack. So, Taking Back Sunday. <laughs> Let me Thank tell you. you. We never we never circle back, so without there, you doing yeah. that, we wouldn't have stayed on, on point. <laughs> there are a hand I really I really like this album. There are a handful of reasons why I love this album. And um I mean the main one uh is that Fred is so much better of a musician than John. And I didn't realize <laughs> this until much not much later, but like a decent amount later. Um yeah. I Obviously, I'm I'm 34. How old are you guys? If you don't mind me asking. 30. 30. 33. Okay, so we're all in the same realm. So I was uh, 18 or 19 when uh, Tell Your Friends came out. That record was like so important, just not just musically, but like right. emotionally and like as like a thing you could scream and the, the lyrics were bad and fucking weird. And, and for scenes, it was important for scenes. <laughs> and and the bands that they liked were cool, and that was cool to get to learn from things. And then, you know, you, 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 we all joined Absolute Punk, and we, we posted on, on Absolute Punk <laughs> hey, about how... Hey, I joined Pure Volume. <laughs> we, all, we all posted about which bands were better than the other ones, and they all, you know, most of them probably sucked. Uh mm-hmm. Take I'm Sunday. sorry, I'm sorry, can we take a moment to just appreciate that Terrence did a Pure Volume joke? <laughs> Uh, we all liked Pure Volume, R.I.P. Uh, they've been dead for like way longer they've been than dead for a while. Have, uh, have you been on? Have you like tried to log? Slight sidetrack. Have you tried to log on to like your MySpace? Do you know that? It's yes. Still like- no, I deleted. I deleted mine. Oh, okay. I deleted mine years ago. It still exists, and like, but oh, I know. But if you put music up, it's all like some of it's other things, and some of it's like like half the track is just gone. Like, I had some old, like, electronic type stuff I did with a buddy, and, like, it's just gone. It's just, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's still up. Nope. Justin Timberlake couldn't save it. There's, there, there's a line in the new uh, uh, film Black Panther where somebody makes reference to uh, their uh, SoundCloud mixtape, and I was, I, just, I was the only person in the theater losing my shit, and then was like, oh, a joke for you. I was like, yeah, it's about a music delivery system. <laughs> I get it, it's for me. Um, so yeah, so we all joined Absolute Punk and we complained about shit and we found out from Absolute Punk, we found out all the shit about how Jesse Lacey was in Taking Back Sunday and they got kicked out of Taking Back Sunday because he hit on John Nolan's sister and all that kind of stuff. And then they wrote songs about each other, but they were friends and oh, who knows? Um, and then... And Antonio, and Antonio Longio is now doing karaoke in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the... Uh, I'm glad you got that joke. <laughs> the uh, Stray Light Run stuff happened, and Stray Light Run was weird because, you know, that was obviously John and Sean, and, and they made a big big noise about leaving that band and why they were leaving and how they were unhappy. And it, um, they put out that first EP, um, not even the first EP, the first demo, which was like some of the most transcendent emo music of the era, and just like beautifully performed and beautifully written. And you were like, oh, John wasn't the problem. It must have been Adam. And uh, then Straylet Run put out their first full length, and it sucked, even though it had all of the same songs from the other record. And you were like, Jesus. It's got, it's got, like, it's got like three good songs on it. It sucked. It, it, I mean, all, every song that was on that first demo that came out was recorded better, sounded better, was more interestingly arranged. I don't think, I, I don't think I've ever heard uh, that first demo, because oh, I have the first album. I'm going to try to dig it up. Cause it's it's I one of those like please do I'm fascinated. <laughs> it was it was just it wasn't stripped down. It was it was the same instrumentation. It was just freer. It it wasn't it wasn't this garbage like Victory Records record. And then they put out another record, and it got like worse and worse. They put out like four goddamn records. I thought they only put out. They put out at least two full lengths. I th- yeah, they put two. It was two full lengths and an EP. And I bought, I bought multiple of those records, and it was like diminishing. But why, return. if you don't like it? I don't know, man. They were. I, I saw. I got to see Straylight Run in what must have been one of their first seven or eight shows, uh, up in, in Boston at, at Middle East, and like it was so yeah, beautiful tracks. and so cool, and I like got this cdr they gave me and it was so awesome that i got the cdr and then i was like so by like two or three albums in i was like maybe john was the problem and <laughs> i'd already this whole time that had been passing the fred mascherino records had been coming out and i liked him i liked him a lot 
but then like it gave me this pause i went back like oh what oh eight maybe oh oh seven and i was like all right i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna give i'm gonna give where you want to be and i'm gonna give i think louder now came out in oh seven or oh eight who, Something like that. I went to that tour. I, was like, I'm gonna give, I remember. I'm gonna give him a real chance. I'm gonna give him a shot because I, I, I think, I think Fred was good. I liked. Uh, I, I, whenever that <laughs> "Until I Surrender" song from uh, Color Fred came out, I was like, Fred's a good one. Uh, Fred's <laughs> definitely a good one. And uh, so, the uh, <laughs> where where you want to be is just this beautiful, 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 beautiful record, and the lyrics are all. Uh, there's so much more adult than tell all your friends and not like, mm-hmm. not like sexy. It's like, it's, it's, there's, there's, it sounds like the problems you have in your early twenties. Exactly. It, it's not this like little boy stamping his foot. Cause he's mad at a girl. It's this. And, and, and then, um, which we had real problems, uh, re-listening to that album in that way. That yeah. it's like, a lot of this feels like a threat of violence against women or our favorite thing that we encounter in emo where it's like, I'll fucking kill myself if you don't love me. And you're like, oh, right. shit, this is something mm-hmm. we came up with, and that's a bad thing that our brains had. <laughs> yeah, a few, um, gosh, when I lived up in Boston, I did a, a Valentine's cover show. I did a set of Dashboard songs, Dashboard Confessional songs, mm-hmm. and um, that was a trip, relearning those songs, because like, I knew all those songs and every tune. And, you know, <laughs> I, I knew all the words, and they were like so deep and meaningful, and blah, 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 blah. And then coming back to it as like a twenty-nine-year-old, I was like, "Oh fuck, these songs are embarrassing." Shut, shut up, shut up, Chris Caraba. There's this like, yeah, Please exactly. Please make that shirt. Please make the shut up Chris Caraba shirt. I'll wear that shirt um, everywhere, like every single day of my life. Please send me anything but signals that are mixed because I can't read your rolling eyes. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, oh. and and it was just. If her yeah, hair was... is everywhere, buy a fucking vacuum. It's so easy. It's a dirt devil. <laughs> yeah, and it was. Uh, I don't know. It was just very. It was it, that, and that's kind of how I feel about tell all your friends now. And it's it's still. I think that that I think that tell all your friends is still better than most dashboard songs. Don't don't you know. Don't no, get it me is. wrong. Yeah. But like, uh, there's something about that record. It's so infantile in its I mean, approach. there's, there's, I would say there's something to be said about, uh, being able to reminisce on your teen years. <laughs> and like, if that, if they were making that album now, it would be a big problem. Mm-hmm. But this was made when they were teenagers, basically. Yep. And when everything so was it's like just that, like, when Pete Wentz was right. writing, I mean, the lyrics Pete Wentz wrote on the first two or three uh fall boy records are are no better they just like literally the same stuff like right um yeah i mean i really love um uh whatever that first big uh, from out of the cork tree mm-hmm. i really like that album uh i don't really care for anything they did before or after but um it is very much uh some of the lyrics are very much teenage mm-hmm. like uh what was that uh that fucking song, like they, they had the, the one big song. The, uh, I mean, sugar, it's going Shit. down. Yes, that's a song. I like. I don't really listen to the first half of that album. I really like the second half, uh-huh. um, where it starts to get like sort of darker sounding. You ever hear the B sides from um, that record? You ever hear the extended? I think, I think it's I, on Spotify. Uh, there's a song. It's called like EXO or something, and then everything beyond. Yeah, that. that's the last song in the album. Oh, sorry. Then it's the next. It, I, I had like a whatever it was like a shitty illegal download right. of it, so it just right. I didn't I yes, never knew I which plenty of I never knew which one was the real ending, but I know it was the one it was like the deluxe edition that they put out next year. Um, right. Those demos or like those dead songs, if you like that dark stuff, is what you want to hear. I was I was upset when Infinity on High came out because it didn't sound like uh, from Under Cork Tree, like the the latter half of From Under Cork Tree. Mm-hmm. It just became this like like this ain't a scene is one of the worst songs i've ever heard in my life but let me let me posit something to you and and i'm a i'm a pretty big i'm a pretty big late era well i don't late era up in late era pre-hiatus fallout boy apologist uh-huh uh this the stuff now the, the jock jam stuff I'm not down. I'm not down with the Jock Jam stuff. I tried to listen to that Mania record, and it like it made my my. Every time I hear one of their apart. new songs, I'm just like, 
I'm just like, no, I don't need this. But there's this, so there's this thread. Uh, if you if you really trace a thread from that first, uh, the one before, uh, take this to your grave. The one before take this to the grave when they had three guitarists. If you track this thread all the way to um, the Folia Do record, it mm. actually kind of makes sense in the in this like sense of what might happen to a band that has a, a vocalist who clearly wants to sound like that. And, right. And what's really interesting, uh, I doubt either of you listened to the Patrick Stump solo record. Um, no. I, I saw him on that tour because my buddy, uh, my buddy was a door guy at Great Scott, and he was like, hey, man, you like that Fall Out Boy guy, right? And I was like, yeah, I like the records. And he was like, cool. There, he's playing two shows. It was all ages shows, and he, it was like at one at six and one at eight. And he was like, he's like, and I got to work both. And I kind of like just want to make sure that there's someone I can kind of like chit chat with while we're working. So I was like, sure. So I went and I hung out with him and Patrick Stump's solo stuff was actually kind of cool. And the band he put together, actually Mm -hmm. speaking of Taking Back Sunday, the bassist who was on these two records or these three records, the three non John and Sean records uh, was Mm -hmm. his bassist on that tour. And because huh. uh, he's like a big, I mean, he's that's kind of what he does. That's how he ended up in Taking Back like Sunday. A touring, he's like a touring musician. He, yeah, he was a he was like a Berkeley dude who got uh, was sort of like a session dude, and then they brought him in and became this touring dude. And now I imagine he just tours with all of the poppy type stuff. Like uh, you know the uh, the bassist from the Academy is is the bassist for Carly Rae mm-hmm. Jepsen. No. Yeah. Uh, he's the bassist who played on um, Say Anything's uh, self-titled record. Oh, I love that album. Yeah, the, the one with the best bass. Uh, he's, yeah, he's the, <laughs> the, the bassist who played on the, on the Say Anything. And then after that, after and, he toured with Say Anything for like that tour, and then he got this offer to, to join Carly Jepsen's band. And he's been in her band ever since. Uh, yeah, isn't that... I was, all right. First of all, I love uh, the Academy is first album, uh, Almost Home. Mm-hmm. I love that Say Anything album. Mm-hmm. And then Carly Rae Jepsen is my favorite pop artist. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. It's, it's all, so. it's all, I'm, I'm, I'm holding up like the uh, Illuminati fingers right now. That's what's happening. <laughs> um, the emo, the emo Illuminati. Nope, didn't work. <laughs> Scratch that one. Um, so y- we'll figure it out. So yeah, so uh, it's the Illuminati eye, but it's crying. Where you want to be? <laughs> One thing that's interesting about where you want to be to me is that it's a record that the first single I heard, I heard on the radio. Um, I was in I was in New Hampshire with my girlfriend at the time at her her parents' house, and we were driving somewhere, and it just. It was on the radio. I was like, oh, my God, is this a Taking Back Sunday song? And then, like, uh, I think the record still didn't come out for two or three months until after that. So then I got, like, obsessed with finding out what the rest of this record was going to be. I got obsessed with mm-hmm. finding out about, like, Fred. I got obsessed. And I remember when it came out just kind of not feeling that great about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was so... It was, it was definitely the same band. Because uh, as far as I know, Eddie Reyes, the guitarist, writes most of the music. Yeah, and it always seemed to me that the second vocalist kind of had a role in stitching melodies together with Adam and kind of determining how song structure. Because you listen to Tell All Your Friends, and then you listen to Straylight Run, the Straylight Run <laughs> records, you see that John had this very distinct um, kind of eye for what where he thinks a bridge should go, what he thinks a bridge should do, and the, that those Tell All Your Sunday bridges are all. John Bridges and then uh, this one and this may have been kind of like I said the first step towards the 30 30 seconds to Marsification of the band but this one was so much more compact in its existence Um, and at at the time I didn't like it and then Louder Now came out and I think I liked Louder Now more at, at that time Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, this the, the, my my personal falling out with John Nolan prior to my full falling out with this band, <laughs> uh, I I realized that this was the best one, and it was in mm-hmm. uh, what kind of drove me into that was, um, and I don't I, I I won't get the timeline right on this, but I once saw I once saw Fred play a solo show, 
Um, and it was uh. as the color Fred, and it was after that Until I Surrender song had come out. Um, and uh, first of all, do you remember that song Until I Surrender or When I Surrender? It had that really cool music video, the like Groundhog Day music video. Barely, like that name sounds familiar, but listen. Okay, so listen, li- watch, find that song, listen to that song, and then like think about this record because that song is the purest form of the the way that these songs on uh, where you want to be are, are structured and kind of like how they exist in space. And yeah. uh, what I what it was was uh, I realized that on and I'm gonna have to look up the name of this because they're kind of like a goofy name band. Uh, on New American Classic, the um, acoustic song that ends side A, um, mm-hmm. in, a, in like a really cool, awesome way, uh, when I saw Fred play solo, he did that song. And I didn't mm-hmm. really think anything of it. It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's a song he, he wrote. Um, I realized the second verse is all Fred. The mm-hmm. entire second verse. I don't know how I never... It's so obvious. I mean, he has such a different voice than Adam. and um, Just never... It, it just never clicked to me that it was in, you know, obviously he probably wrote that song in its entirety. And right. I just think that like Fred, uh, Fred wanted to make that band a rock band instead mm-hmm. of like a weird pop punk band. And I think pop punk emo. Exactly. And I think John wanted to make it like the Smiths or something. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, obviously, you, said you listen Smiths. to Breaking Pangea, you listen to The Color of Fred, you you can see you can see this. Fred, right. Fred's Fred's a uh, Fred's a Foo Fighters type of guy. <laughs> I can, yeah. I don't know if he likes the Foo Fighters, but he's a Foo Fighters kind of guy. He's he's right. down. He's meat and potatoes and downstrokes, and um, it. I think it made Adam better. It made Adam. It made the Adam stuff so much stronger to have mm. this very structured, very like, we're a rock band, we're not one of those pop punk bands, we're not, we're not trying to compete with Fall Out Boy, we're not trying to compete with, we're, we're Taking Back Sunday. And I think that's what made that so strong. This record, yeah. and then you, the next one is just, it's, it's hammered home. And, right. um, and then another thing that really stands out about this record, uh, isn't even about Fred. It is about. Uh, let me look up what his name is because I should have. I should have looked up when I said it before. The guy who played bass, Mark. I think. Let's see. That sounds about right. Uh. Uh. Well, I think Mark might have been the drummer. Um. I used to know all the names. It's been. Okay, Matt Rubano was the bassist. Um, okay. So Matt Rubano was the bassist on these middle three records. He is hands down. 20 times the basis Sean Cooper ever could imagine being. And mm. like, I know that's a, a rude thing to say. And I know Sean Cooper has been in, <laughs> has been in two bands that are more successful than uh, I could ever have been. But like every time I ever saw Sean Cooper play bass, there's, there's this thing. It, it makes you matter to see someone on stage when you think that you could do better than them. And I, it, it, this especially was exacerbated at the, the teller friends 10 tour. Um, it's just like, God, it, and it's, it's on the record, it's on, in the performance and it's in just the way that the bass lives with everything else. And, you know, you've got songs like, um, uh, bonus mosh part two, like the first time I heard bonus mosh part two, basically that was my favorite song on this record. And until Mm. I looped back around and realized there are probably five or six favorite songs on this record, that was the one that I would always be like. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's one of the good ones, but it's got bonus mosh part two. Like, that just <laughs> fucking bonus mosh part two. That might have even been the second, like, single type thing that came out. Because the first song I heard was um, I Know You Know, which is like, uh-huh. uh, I think it was I Know You Know. It was either I Know You Know or a Decade Under There. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, and it, it, you listen to this record, and it, it, it just, every song lives in its own space kind of like ladders up to each other to this in this way that they weren't able to do on any of their other records Mm -hmm. um yeah well i was gonna say uh when uh sean and john joined back with the band it definitely feels like the album that would have been made if uh if john had stayed with the band after tell all your friends Mm mm-hmm 
like listening to it, it's just like, oh, you just like y'all just picked up where where you left off. Yeah. And I never like I listened to it once or twice and I didn't hate it, but it was just one of those things where it was just like I really, really liked New Again. Uh, because it's such not a Taken Back Sunday album, even though like I love Louder Now and Tell All Your Friends and Where You Wanna Be, but New Again is just this like not Taken Back Sunday album mm-hmm. and the lyrics are so <clears throat> I don't know, like like the lyrics aren't uh like it feels like the lyrics come closer to where you wanna be than uh Louder Now, mm-hmm. but it's like sort of matured and it's i don't it's good what i have to imagine happened with new again and uh and i remember this because this was a big part of their like press push um so so fred left and everyone was like oh great so like adam must be like the biggest asshole in the world and um before they announced matt fazio was joining um they put out there was it was a blog post it's the kind of thing that would have been like a video now if a band was putting it out. And it was like a blog post that said like, uh, Adam and Eddie are really excited to start uh, uh, working on the new record. And uh, it was uh, Adam, Eddie, and Matt are excited to get start working on the new record. And it was a, there was a picture of Adam and he was playing guitar. And like the caption underneath said, see, we told you he can play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, see, now you're going to notice this. In, and then you see in some of these other <laughs> things since, there's more and more of him playing guitar. Uh, in fact, at the Tell All Your Friends 10 tour, they played, uh, God, what is the name of the song? The Stray Light Run song, the big one, the, the Subway video. Uh, uh, Slow Dance. Uh, Existentialism on Prom Night. <laughs> There we go. Uh, so <laughs> it was on the tip of the tongue. <laughs> they they played Taking Back Sunday played Existentialism on Prom Night and Adam played acoustic guitar and sang the entire song. <laughs> <laughs> he he announced it by saying, "You guys are going to think this is kind of weird." And then John stepped up and said, "Yeah, it's pretty much like we're playing a cover of one of me and Sean's songs." And then Adam said, "Well, that is literally what we're doing." <laughs> It was very strange. Yeah. And I can imagine. Um, yeah, that was part of when I realized, oh shit, Adam just stole all of the all of John's parts. Like <laughs> um, yeah, so that was like this part of that new again push and then Matt joined and they were like, "Oh, cool. Matt was in uh, a couple bands. He had a, he has a cool voice. He's like he looks like Jesse Lacey and kind of sounds like him. Neat. This will be cool." Uh, and then it I, like I said, I didn't like it, but it was just like that build up to it where they were like, see, we told you Adam can write songs. It wasn't just Fred and John. And it's like, you, that's weird because I hadn't thought that until that moment. And now I think he probably didn't. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it, you know, it could be a time and place thing. I, I don't think so because I still listen to these first three records, not like super mm-hmm. regularly. Like I'd say the this is the record of taking back Sunday. I listen to the, the most re- like frequently like of this era. I listen to like designing a nervous breakdown all the time. And like, it's, this is, I, I would say when I think of taking back Sunday, I think of this album. Yep. Like this is the most, this is, I feel like this is like, if you don't listen to any other taking back Sunday album besides this one, you're good. Cause I, like I listened to the self-titled and I listened to happiness is like once, mm-hmm. And apparently they had one come out in 2016, which I never even touched. There was a song, there was a single, uh, and it sounded like the Dropkick Murphys. It sounded like shipping up to Boston. I, I hate you for saying that, <laughs> and I hate them for making it. Um, yeah, so I didn't listen to that record. And like I said, I was already off the Taking Back Sunday uh, train. Um, yeah. And like I said, I'm a, like, I'm a big-time apologist for this era. I think, like, uh, I, I honestly think that My Chemical Romance would today be considered one of the biggest arena rock bands like they would be muse right thank now you. if first of all thank you for saying that <laughs> because a lot of people are just like like michael book romance is the emo band it's just like they're not they're like literally an arena rock yeah. band with just like goth makeup so on that, like it's not that's the thing like i 
<laughs> Sorry, I keep talking over you. I'm so rude. No, you're fine. Like, it's just it's just one of the frustrating things. It's just like, this emo band, My Couple Romance, I was like, they were never emo. Like, they they played, like, arena rock and, like, like, like throwback punk. But that was, they didn't, like, even Gerard Way said they weren't well, emo. Well, do you know so. what they did? Here's why, this is the reason. This is the kind of thing. It almost sort of derailed uh, Alkaline Trio in the middle there when they went, like, full-on vampire man um <laughs> the the first alkaline tree record uh I, I bring you my bullets you brought uh, you brought me your bullets i bring you my love or whatever um mm-hmm. every single song is about vampires and <laughs> when you saw them on that tour they they would be like here's another song it's about vampires and that <laughs> that saddled them they were for the rest of their career Everyone was like, they're the vampire band. And then people like you and me and Brock listened through them all and realized that they wrote these cool songs that were awesome and not like weird like teeny bopper music, but it was too late for everyone else we knew because they'd all seen the vampire band and they said, I don't need them, I already like AFI. And <laughs> yeah, uh, like I really like um, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. I think that album's like genu- genuinely like a really fun album to listen to. And like the like they had I'm Not Okay, which is a good song. And then like the second single was Helena, which is like I don't really care for that song, but like that was the song that everyone's just like, that's that's my chemical romance. And I'm just like, it's really not if yeah. you listen to the rest of that album. Like it's really, really not. Yep, exactly, and I think that, like, I mean, and then the, I mean, Black Parade was great, uh, I think Killjoys is an amazing record, like... I get, I, I didn't listen to anything. <laughs> you for, need to... Three cheers. Three, okay. I didn't, I didn't care for, uh, that one, the first single off of, um, Black Parade? Yeah, and I was just like, I'm... And I worked at a radio station, mm-hmm. so I had to hear it a lot, yep. and so I was just like, I'm not gonna... So Black... I'm not gonna give this a chance. Black Parade, not nearly as good as, as people thought it was when it came out and then mm-hmm. they, they they were so dead from all the vampire stuff <laughs> that like uh killjoys came out and killjoys is like is this really beautiful concept record that like <laughs> um uh so uh, there's this chuck klosterman piece uh <laughs> sorry i'm i'm the, now I'm, we're getting into comics this this is this is me so there's this chuck klosterman piece he is uh uh he talks about uh, Rivers Cuomo and Werner Herzog. And he says, uh, Rivers Cuomo Good and Lord. Werner Herzog are similar in that they create art that is exactly what they want to create. And so this, this article, mainly, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a late-era Weezer apolo- apology that basically says um, people, people liked the first two Weezer records, but what they didn't realize is they liked it because they were closer to being Rivers than they realized at the time. Rivers then became a big rock and roll star and what Rivers is changed and he kept writing music about what Rivers was. He always was putting out exactly the record he wanted to put out and people don't think about this. People, uh, he played guitar on a Crazy Town song. He's not like a cool guy. Yeah. He's, he's this lame. <laughs> he's this lame dude who just wanted to make Kiss songs in his basement and and so this this article talks about that and talks about how you know it ties it into Werner Herzog making movies that uh, poses documentaries but actually aren't and uh, you know because due to editing but it's still exactly the story he's trying to tell. Um, <laughs> My Chemical Romance with Killjoys made exactly the record they'd been trying to make the entire time, but by then it's just too late. They were they were done for. They like right. th- that record could have been it could have been the most brilliant record of all time and no one would have paid attention to it because they'd been the vampire band the vampire band became the uh, the band with the, then they wanted to be queen yeah became the the queen band with the the guy with the short blonde hair and the, the song that's about cancer for no reason and like by then it was just the only people left were the diehards which was like yeah me uh, my wife and then like a bunch of like 22 year olds and <laughs> it just, it, it just couldn't happen. I think they're going to try to get back together. They're probably just going to put out a record that sounds like black parade because they think that people hated that. I mean, people might've hated it. Maybe, maybe I just have bad taste in music, but it's, it's, it's this thing you can, uh, you can sense, you can sense this like 
I like to call it like actualness or exactness. And it's, it's about like when an artist goes out and they try to create something, it's not about them creating the best version of themselves or the best version of music or even the best version of that particular song. But, it, but, yeah. but when something is very good and when something really grabs you by, by the heart and makes you feel, it's because it is actual. It's exact. And uh, I mean, I, looping back to the record we're talking about, I think that, that one of the reasons that I like it, this one, is because I feel like they actualize themselves for this mm-hmm. like, brief moment in time well, they were tw- probably 25 or 26 year old guys they uh half of the band had just quit so they are, they were dealing with the idea of like great now ruin fucking hates us because they they know adam's an asshole right and like it's it's so much more about yourself and it's so much more about um uh how long do you stick around through it as opposed right. to how do I get to it, and that's right. so very interesting. Yeah, uh, you you were just saying. Um, I mean, I brought, I brought this up earlier, but you were talking about like the, it's it's the exact time of like being twenty five years old, and like listening to like I, like I love this album through and through. Like every like every song on it, I really like. But when you get to after New American Classic and you get to songs like I Am Fred Astaire and 180 by Summer, like that sounds so much like being a 25 year old, Mm -hmm. like and like the lyrics and like it's just like this, this sort of unsure, sort of like semi angry, always sad sounding lyrics. And it's just like, yeah, that definitely sounds like when you're 25. Like, it doesn't sound... It sounds like they matured along with the music instead of, oh, we're just going to make another Tell All Your Friends. Yeah, and that's that's what I like about it. And then I feel like what probably happened was with the next record, I don't know if that was the major label one. It might have been, but it might have still been Victory. They think... They may have... Think that they said, we're making our Foo Fighters record, and they did. Uh, that was on... Warner Brothers. Warner. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's a good album, but it's just... Like, I don't know. It's A lot of it is just kind of eh. <laughs> uh, I, really, I still really like Make Damn Sure. Uh, that is just a, a good song to sing loud to in the car. Yeah, there's that one song. Um, um, there was one song that was on the Fantastic Four 2 soundtrack, Error Operator. Oh, yeah. That, was, uh, that one's weird. <laughs> There's the one that, that uh, I think it's called Miami, which is like a bad song uh-huh. with a really amazing guitar solo in it. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time that like I would listen to that album, and like every time that song would come up, I'm just like, there's something weird about this song. Just, I don't... just the guitar solo. The guitar solo is so good. I, I listen to that song all the way through, and I'm like, oh, I ever didn't want to listen to that whole song. <laughs> yeah. Like, like look, I liked like the first half of the album, kind of. Uh. Uh, uh, there's like five songs in this album I like. Yeah, I'll re-listen to it tomorrow, yeah. and I'll I'll, we'll, I'll I'll be in our DM thread talking about how I actually like all the songs because that's that's <laughs> what I am and where I'm at. Um, uh, Brock, Brock, how do you feel about this album? Uh, this is out of everything the the Take You Back Sunday album I probably spent the most time with, and I didn't like it because it seemed like the simple album because it didn't uh-huh. have the weird. Uh, cut time things and and weird cutaways and stuff. And in re-listening to it now, I'm like, oh yeah, these are just uh, songs, just like regular <laughs> regular good oh, they songs ma- with a regular human structure to them. Uh, they made music. Yeah, they 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 did songs that make some fucking sense. And like decade under the influence, the union and number five with a bullet all feel like songs that I'm just like, fuck. That's just an impossibly good song with an impossibly good like the stereotype emo riff of like just a discordant chord that like yeah. leads into something bigger and like everyone does their part and the second vocalist is actually used in interesting ways like uh this is this has actually been really re- rewarding to come back to because i was sort of like eh, this is the blandy mcbland version of the <laughs> taking back sunday albums i actually think of it as the most commercial one because it's just all straightforward songs and i was like I'm glad that they did this. And like, yeah. a, a new American classic actually kicked me right in the dick. Cause I was just like, Oh, I forgot that like, they were also capable of like something just this nice. Uh, right. and like the, the musicianship there and the way that like 
uh, some of the passages resolve into these chords and stuff. I was like, oh shit, this is like really good, and it's that perfect mid-album bring it down acoustic thing, and then it comes back up with I'm Fred Astaire, and I'm like, this is yeah, this is a really good album, and I'd completely forgotten, so I'm glad that we revisited it. Uh, <laughs> my, my recommendation is, yeah, absolutely give it a spin now. Yep. Yeah, listen to this album. It's still uh, super fun to yell along to in the car. Oh, yeah, um, it's while you're doing while you're doing dishes like i was literally like i it was like 70 degrees today so i was listening to this on the way home from work and i just rolled down the windows and turned this all the way up um (laughs) okay so i still have a little bit of power and there's something that i it's it's relevant to the conversation (laughs) it's relevant to take Uh my sunday have you guys uh ever on this show discussed the victory records like lawsuits no. Do you know do you know about Victory Records and all the Victory Records shit? I knew that the guy who ran Victory Records was a huge asshole. Yeah, so I I mean I don't want to like I I, I, da- I no offense, I doubt he listened to this. I don't want him to come after me. But um, He can come after me. I'll fight Tony, him. Tony Brummel of, of Victory Records. Uh so so uh, the band I was in, the Appreciation Post. I, I was in that band from 05 to 09. Uh kind of like you know, prime time of this shit. And um so Victory Records was obviously this record label that put out all these really great hardcore records, all these really great emo records. Um, and also like totally fucking sucked as a company. They did this thing where they would sort of blanket sign bands to, um, five plus lab- uh, album deals in the hopes that they'd have one that would get popular enough that they can upstream them. I mean, they upstreamed, uh, taking back Sunday to Warner brothers clearly. So it worked enough. They upstreamed, uh, Hawthorne Heights eventually <laughs> they up, you know, if you look at their roster, you'll see a lot of popular bands, especially of that era, that came out of there and then put on at, put out at least an album or two on a major label. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would basically sign up any band that was willing to work with them, and it would always be these like, you know, younger younger kids who who might uh, they may, maybe they're a little better off, so they don't think about like these kinds of issues, or maybe they're just super enthusiastic and they just don't think that they need a lawyer to read their stuff but like i mean a five album deal is literally impossible for a band to complete um yeah and let's say the the daily november had that and that's why they released that three-track album yep exactly that's and that's i mean that kind of was part of what really hurt uh albums i'd say in the the post napster or not even post napster post limewire pre uh uh, Spotify years were like labels coming to terms with the fact that in the early half of the 2000s they signed up all these emo bands and pop punk bands and they didn't fucking know what to do with them anymore and um, Victory was the worst at this and uh, what happened in this says it was 06 uh, Hawthorne Heights sued Victory Records uh, <laughs> for a number of reasons but uh, they posted the full complaint on uh, on Absolute Punk, or someone posted it, and it was it was this, you know, this I was maybe a year into my my career. I'm air quoting, and um, <laughs> you know, we we hadn't talked to labels, but like we'd gotten emails from people who were like, we can get you in touch with labels, like like Victory, blah 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 blah, blah Vagrant, uh, Epitaph, blah blah. Obviously, all these things sound great to any band. Um, so, uh, Victory got in this lawsuit. It was found that that Victory had been spending. Uh, so, so when you put out a record, uh, there's a few ways it can happen. But, but usually the the label will pay for you to produce the record. If you've already produced the record, they'll pay you for the record. Um, mm-hmm. And then pretty much everything that goes into them uh, mixing the record, mastering the record, promoting the record goes against something that's called your recoupable which is uh, the level that you have to reach before you can start getting repaid aside from royalties. Royalties are things that are literally attached to your compositions, Um, but to actually start getting payment on sales, you have to get past recoupable. So um, Hawthorne Heights put out uh, that record with the uh, Black My Eyes song, and uh, um, I listen to that album a lot, and I don't remember the name of it. Uh, I mean, I could go. I, I'm a I'm a, a pretty decent Hawthorne Heights apologist to a degree, but like it's not worth talking about right now. Aside from that, no, no, not at all. Um, so <laughs> so Hawthorne Heights after that first record, or maybe the second one, they uh, their accountant looked at their at their account, 
and Victory had been charging against Hawthorne Heights Recoupable all of these things like promo CDs and all these like books and uh, you know, I mean, you worked in a, at a radio station, so you'd get like a, a bunch of flyers from a, a thing that had like a bunch of yeah. demo CDs on it. Yeah. They, they were taking the entire cost of production of those things and putting them against Hawthorne Heights Recoupable uh, on the basis that Hawthorne Heights was on some of these CDs or most of these CDs or in most of these materials, but they weren't putting it against uh, other bands. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So they were, right. they were billing Hawthorne Heights for promoting other bands. Um, and another thing that sort of happened was when the second Hawthorne Heights record came out, it came out on the same day that the Neo record came out. And uh, Tony Brummel sent out an email to the street teamers saying, go to stores and hide all the Neo records and put the Hawthorne Heights record where it is. And um, all these what? like <laughs> billboard, all these magazines picked up the story and were like, Hawthorne Heights street team is racist. And <laughs> so Hawthorne Heights is like, ah, what the fuck is happening? And they found out, you know, so basically that happened. And then their, their lawyer or their accountant found out that the label had been robbing them. Um, and then uh, in this, this story, and I, I doubt it exists on, online anymore because this is like Web 1.5 at this point. But yeah. uh, in this story, it said that kind of the last straw for them deciding to uh, sue was the second record went gold and um they had a uh a party where they got their records and uh and like you know you get a big record plaque and it was this big boat cruise and it was like executives from warner brothers and blah 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 blah, blah. you know this cool thing that tony brummel put a bunch of money in probably charged against their account to be fair and he, he tony brummel was like there's a little present taped on the back of there for you. And it was a check for like $500 for each of them. And they were like, I don't think that they're doing this. I don't think that they're treating us right. <laughs> and um, so, so all of this was happening. And we got, uh, the Appreciation Post got a recruitment email. And uh, it was like, send us like an EPK and we'll, we'll check it out. And you know, we really like the stuff you got on MySpace. And we like asked them about it and they never wrote us back. And two or three years later, we were, it wasn't really a tour, but we were on a tour and this one band played two or two or three shows of it. Cause they were friends of our friends. And, um, in between one show that we played with them in like South Carolina or something. And then the show we played mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania or something, um, they announced that they were signing to Victory, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be no. interesting. I'm going to get to talk <laughs> to the, talk to them about this." <laughs> and I like asked them, and they were, I mean, I was 25 or 26, and they were probably like 21, 22 year old dudes. Um, uh -huh. Nice dudes, you know, cool band that sounded like the kind of band that would be on Victory. Um, I mm -hmm. asked them. I was like, I was like, you read all that stuff that came out like last year or two years ago about. Tony Brummel like ripping bands off and like signing them up for all these like predatory deals and like bands having like back pay for for things and he was like oh yeah man we asked him about it he said he's not going to do it anymore so we signed with him and I like looked at him and I was like <laughs> <laughs> never heard of that band again so <laughs> oh man so, is Victor Records like still around doing I'm stuff? fairly certain they must be because uh, what I wanted to circle back around to on this was uh, up until recently, uh, one of the reasons why Taking Back Sunday, re as, as far as I know, recorded that uh, acoustic version of Tell All Your Friends was mm. because not the Victory Records stuff wasn't on Spotify and people were like, I want to listen to Tell All Your Friends. And they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll help you out with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if I imagine Victory still exists. Like I said, if if Tony Brummel was to hear this, he might threaten to kick my ass. Um, he would definitely be able to kick my ass. Uh, I'll fight him. But yeah, it, they were a shitty label that was like very kind of open about, you know, refreshingly open <laughs> about how shitty they were. And like, it was weird because, you know, I, I met those kids and they were nice enough dudes, played good enough music. Like, I, I hope that they're all very happy right now, but... 
I don't think anyone listened to the record that they put out on that that uh, that label. Right. I don't think that that label apparently, treated them all that well. Like apparently, in 2015, Tony <laughs> Brummel sued Streetlight Manifesto for five million dollars. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 his. Uh, that's you know. I mean, you could dig real deep into it, and it's and it's funny because that that whole era of like the scene and like the absolute punk stuff like was dominated by this kind of stuff. And and I rem- like I remember like once I started kind of waning myself out of the scene. Uh, oh come on! You never leave the scene. Like I listen to like a lot of synthwave now. I don't. I don't know about any of this anymore. <laughs> like I'm looking at, I'm trying to find bands that are on like victory records and I'm just like, I don't know who any of these people <laughs> are. Um, but like a day, like I remember hearing about a day to remember suing them and yeah. like, yeah. So taking back yeah. Sunday was, was formed in that vile pit made one. Okay. Record. Well, one very good seminal record two very good to extremely good rock and roll records and now still exist <laughs> there i will say that they're they're not they didn't like fall down a pit into being awful it's just whatever yeah like i feel like they're fine 30 seconds to it's mars fine 30 seconds to mars they exist i would well i would say 30 seconds to mars isn't fine <laughs> because they were never fine <laughs> okay and the only solace I ever got from 30 Seconds to Mars is that, uh, uh, what was that first, like, big song they had? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I just remember they're, the, they're, they're, The Kill? The Kill? Oh, is yeah. Is that what that song was called? It was, like, the only screamy song that was on Rock Band before, like, they had DLC. And that was it. And uh, there was barely any in that. <laughs> and uh, uh, Jared Leto can kiss the fattest part of my ass <laughs> i think we all agree on that um all right well my computer stayed alive and i got to do that i got to, to do some educating about about <laughs> the scene um uh, it was it was a lot of fun yeah thank you so much for having me this this was good this was great i loved we'll being to, we'll on this to, so we'll have to have you back on just so we, we don't even cover an album again like we <laughs> didn't do uh and we'll just talk about the scene <laughs> uh definitely you know like you know like fallout boy says this ain't a scene oh it, it's a goddamn arm race. it is an arms race. race i fucking hate that song um anyway <laughs> roger where can we find you online uh so you can find me on twitter at i am the raj R- so i a m ah, just it's i am the raj but raj spelt out like dog you'll figure it out just just go on brock's twitter he retweets me a lot <laughs> <laughs> look at what brock says and fucking yeah figure it find out find me through brock uh, um uh i've got a band called the new restaurants uh i think we're putting something out soon we're gonna put out this thing that i'm so very excited about we recorded uh an ep of slowed down taylor swift songs under the name taylor yes. taylor slow uh <laughs> we have <laughs> shut up we, we haven't tracked the vocals yet, ex- uh, save for one song, uh, which I'll send to you two and not to anyone else. So secrets. Um, yeah, I'll send it to you two so you can check it out. But I'm so very excited for it to come out because it's like this really silly thing. And then uh, New Restaurants is this this cool band that I joined here that we only play like once a month. And it's great because I get to have a job and, you know, see my wife and, and still, be happy. And still play music. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, if if... You, if you thought I sounded like I used to be in cool bands, the bands were called, um, there's a band called Pretty and Nice. That was the one that put out the record on Equal Vision. Uh, there's a synth pop band, well, like power pop synth band called The Appreciation Post. Uh, and then I had a pop punk band called Yale, Massachusetts that you can check out all of them or none of them. I will never know. Now, what kind of pop punk is it like? I'll, I'll just send you the link and you can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was like, because there's like two different kinds of pop punk. Uh, like there's, it's there's like there's like Blink One Eighty Two, Newfound Glory, and then there's like the other pop punk. Um, I would say, I mean, I guess I don't know. It, it I called it a pop punk band. It was probably something else. 
That's fine. Uh, Brock, what about you? What do you do online? Uh, you can find me at Brock Wilbur on Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, I have two other podcasts uh, called Missouri Loves Company and another one called Carrying Into the Void that's brand new. Terrence edits both of them. Uh, I do do that. Him for your things and please buy his cookies. He is a good boy and you should date him. Mm. Oh, it- I am single. And I, I'm sorry. I also have a podcast, Money for Nothing, Chips for Free. The thing I talked about before, it is real. It's a podcast. We talk about potato chips and then talk around a bunch of other things. Um, so if you thought that the way that I talked on this was was funny or in, If you enjoyed my voice. Then it's, it's, it's that sort of stuff. And then also the sound of me and my friend Pat munching on some chips. And that's Money for Nothing, Chips for Free. We're on the podcast things. How about you, Terrence? What else do you do? Uh, I write about video games on the internet. I do uh, other, well, they're on hiatus, but I do other podcasts that currently aren't currently aren't up. There's whatever we call it. There's fan fiction theater. There's the We Heart Video Game Show, but all of those are on hiatus while kind of do some reformatting and do some other stuff. I make cookies mm. and I play video and I play Kingdom Hearts. That's all I do nowadays. <laughs> Sounds great. It sounds like I, we're I all have, in a really good place in our lives right now, which is good does, to hear. It does, doesn't it? I have, I have two, well, like one full Kingdom Hearts game left, <laughs> and then I'll have played every Kingdom Hearts game. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for being on our show. It was a lot of fun. We'll have to have you back to talk about whatever. Thank you so much. Maybe It was a blast. Maybe Straylight Run. Maybe Straylight Run. <laughs> uh, Brock, you got anything else? No, I'm good. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, make sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Coolest Kids Pod. And as always, we are the coolest kids, and we take what we can get. Bye. Thank you. Bye.